We consider at this time the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. We have been considering the prayer that the Lord has given us, the Our Father, and it's called the Lord's Prayer, but maybe more precisely we could call it the Disciples' Prayer. And it's not just simply that we repeat the Lord's Prayer and know it by heart, but so that we pray in the, in the manner in which Jesus gives us to pray in the pattern or template of the Lord's Prayer. So we consider the conclusion, which is a doxology and an amen. Very important conclusion to this prayer. One of the great creeds of the churches uh, discusses this and just brings this to our minds in its consideration of the conclusion of the prayer. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. It explains it this way, the Heidelberg Catechism, last question and answer of that great instructor. That means, the doxology means, all this we ask, all the things of the prayer we ask, because thou, as our king who hast all power over all things, art both willing and able to give us all good, and that thereby not we but thy holy name may be glorified forever. So the catechism is concerned that we understand when we end our prayers, we should be praising God. And that tells us that all of our praying should have been for the praise of God. Then there's the amen. And we conclude our prayer with the amen. That doesn't mean simply, children, it's over. Now I can go home. I'm stopped. That's it. No more words. But it means this that it shall truly and surely be. For my prayer is more certainly heard of God than I feel in my heart that I desire these things of him. We say amen. We're confident that what we have prayed will be answered and that it certainly will be answered. That's an amen that's worthy of our response to what God has said. God says something, and we believe his is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We can say amen to that, can't we? But I do want to remind you as well that this is the end, the conclusion, not only of a prayer, but the amen is the last word of the Heidelberg Catechism. As churches, we consider the whole counsel of God, and it's been our custom to go through the Heidelberg Catechism. There's 52 Lord's Days, as we call them, or sections that correspond to what? 52 weeks of the year. So round and round we go, and it takes about two years to get through all of the um, consideration of Christian doctrine and practice. And it's, it's been a beautiful trip, and I hope that you are bored of this trip, and that it's a round trip. We go round and round again, but not in the bad sense, but in the good sense. We don't leave off truth to get more inventive or creative. We would expound truth here to grow deep in the knowledge of the word with the help of creeds like the Heidelberg Catechism and other creeds. But now... Of course, everything has to be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. So we're going to do that, uh, root and ground the things that we would speak of here in the Lord's Prayer by going to the Bible, 1 Chronicles 29, in which, and I want you to try to catch this, children, 
there is something that sounds like the Lord's Prayer. In 1 Chronicles, in the Old Testament, in the early books of the law of God and the history of the people of God, there's something that sounds an awful lot like the Lord's Prayer. We'll see that. Listen for that as we read the first 20 verses of 1 Chronicles 29, the Word of God. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God I prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things to be made in the temple of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Moreover, because I've set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, listen carefully, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all, and in your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness as for me, 
In the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I've seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you. And give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the king. Thus far we read this mighty word of God to us and a word that's so important for everything in our life and the great thing of everything in our life. Praise to God. That's what the sermon is about today, and specifically the offering of praise to God that we give to God and here in the Old Testament as they prepared to build the temple. We need to consider two things at this time. Who is God and who are we? Who is God and who are we? This world is so uh, messed up with regard to these fundamental questions and answers that the Bible gives. And they're messed up because people don't want to know that there is a God. They, they really think there's lots of gods to each his own. Consequently, nobody, it seems, knows who they are. They don't even know their biological identity, if they're a man or woman, and they certainly don't know what they're here for, other than the beasts of the earth, maybe climb up the top of some ladder or some pile of rocks, and somehow at the end be at the top, or at least in a comfortable spot. Oh, beloved, is, is that all? Are we going to be like worldlings, and I'm talking about an evil world without God, who don't know God, don't want to, and who don't know themselves and don't want to? Beloved, God expects greater things of his people than that. And it's all about simply reminding ourselves of what God says he is and who he says he is, and following the pattern of the godly men and of Jesus in the Bible, and of thanking God for Jesus, and, and then knowing that God, praising him, and, and finding in that quest for God, in that realignment of ourselves with the truth of God, we find who we are. So it's not the first question that concerns us. Who am I and what's in it for me? It, it's who is God and Lo and behold, he blesses us with who we are, with the knowledge of who we are. And we find out our purpose. And we find out that God has good things in store for us and a good calling. And it doesn't matter what it is. You don't have to be a minister, a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, or a merchant chief. It could be anything that you're called to be as you, by faith, live to God that's who you are. 
And that is a praise to God. So let's consider the offering of praise. And first of all, that we give praise to a praiseworthy God. And then it's about temple praise. This is something we learn here in this passage, in which is a template for the very Lord's Prayer that our, our Savior teaches us. Temple praise. And then finally, I want to speak of the confidence that we have in praise. That's where that word amen comes in. We're confident in the fact that God is praised and he's our God who's worthy to be praised. Note here, the psalmist, or the psalmist, sounds like a psalmist here. Yes, it is. The sweet singer of Israel composing this psalm for the people of God in verse 10. David blessed the Lord before all the assembly and then he said this and it sounds like a psalm of his or prayer of his at the center of which is Praise, praise, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. Sounds like the Lord's Prayer. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So the greatness of God. It's on the mind of Jesus, who loves God and his Father, and he would teach that to the disciples. It's on the mind of David. An Old Testament saint, and really, the praise of God has ever been on the mind of God's people wherever they are, whatever situation, whether it's good, bad, or otherwise, they're thinking of God. That should be our thought in the house of God, not only, but in our own houses, at our work, at our play, in school, the praises of God. And so, we praise a God who's worthy of praise because God is great. And greatly to be praised, the psalmist says. That was our call to worship. Note how the text brings this out. Yours, O God, Lord, is the greatness. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. And just before that, by calling the Lord God, God, he's saying that God is truly God. Now, that's the first principle of all religion, the knowledge of God. God is God not just the great force in the universe behind all of the other forces, but this God, this thrice-personal God, Father, Holy Spirit, who's truly other than what he's created. You see, the, the psalmist in his praise is locating God where he ought to be, just like we did in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us our Father. Where is our Father? He's in heaven. That means he's above, not just that he's right next to Jupiter or some other place in the celestial sphere, but he's even above that. He's in this existence that, uh, in which he, he manifests himself to be God, and we know him as the above God. That's the point. He's above all us. Above all the great guys and the great gals and the great accomplishments is God and his accomplishments. He's God, and his greatness is seen in his power over all things. His is the greatness. There's no other greatness besides his, and his is the power. There's no other power besides his or any power that he seeks to give to others. It's all delegated under him, serving him. And his is the glory. 
That would mean the, like the brightness, the great and shining radiance of the sun. That's what we see streaming from heaven 96 miles, uh, million miles away, the, the beams, the rays of the sun. God's rays, his greatness beams to us from further away than the sun in all the galaxies of the, of the universe is God revealing himself to be great in all things. His is the victory, his is the majesty. It speaks here, does David, of, of the God who conquers enemies. And that's something about this God, you know, in his interacting with the world he's made, uh, that he's created, he's made. He is never a loser, and he's never frustrated, and he's always accomplishing his, his purposes. Now you say, how can that be? You know, there's this guy in the White House or the Red House or whatever house, and he seems to be pulling a lot of strings and causing a lot of ruckus and doing his own thing. How can God be in control of that? Well, the Bible says he is. He's the Lord, and he does whatsoever he pleases among the army inhabitants of the heavens and of the earth. So among angels and principalities, even devils, God is over them. You see, that's the important thing that we know here, refuting those who say God is only partially God. God's over good and evil, and he's still God. Doesn't make him bad that he allows the devil to do his thing or that he wills that the devil do a certain thing as his instrument and servant. No, God is good. He's better than we would be if we just play with the devil or, or just you know, allow there to be devils. No, he's good and holy. Far above our ways is God's. So the great stumbling block of the Christian religion, which begins with God who's good and great in all things and over all things, the great stumbling block is how, there, how can there be evil and there be God? How can you have that? How can there be God who's in control and you have all these people and maniacs and society going out of control and rapidly leading to chaos? Where's God in all of this and over this? And basically, beloved, when we question that, and unbelievers do, they're stumbling over the fact that God is God and we are not. We are not. We want to call the shots, and if we had our way, we say, well, then God, we'd do it this way. Or we'd make life cancer-free. Or we'd make it so that everybody gets to marry whomever they want and, or, or not. So we'd have it better according to our needs. Well, that's idolatry, and that's uh, not ascribing praise to God, but it's patting ourselves on the back for the, for the good that we do and, and wanting ourselves to be at the top of the rock pile or the, the top of whatever heap we're climbing up. Praise to God is the first principle of true devotion to God. And you note here, the psalmist even says, as they're giving offerings to him, that these don't add to God. Verse 12, riches and honor come from you. Uh, you reign over all, and you're, in your hand is power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. 
And then verse 14, all these things, all things come from you and of your own we have given you. You see, the psalmist is saying here, whatever we have now and we would give to God now, and they're giving iron and gold and silver and bronze and wood and precious stones and all kinds of things. Whatever we're going to give to you, the psalmist says, well, it's yours anyway. We're not adding anything to God. When we praise Him, when we worship Him, when we do good things in His name, not adding to God, as if He weren't as much God before we got in the picture and added to His reputation and added to to the, the glory of His name by saying He's worthy to be praised. Nothing can be added to God or taken away from God even though people like to take away the glory of God by blaspheming Him, like to add to God by urging Him along to do something more our way and more in conformity to our will. No, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. His is the kingdom. His is the power. His is the glory. And that forever. And that doesn't mean just at the end of time. Big mess before that, but then he gets the glory in the end. It means every day, every single day, God's is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we pray that. And that's the, part of the wonder of the glory of God, that there's a people that praise with, uh, praise with praise on their minds. As I've indicated in opening remarks about the praise of God, it's not everybody's thing to praise God. But here in David and here among the disciples and here in the Church of Christ, there's a people that is keen on the praise of God and offering praise. And why is that? Exactly because we've been made God's children. Note here. Here in verse 10 of 1 Chronicles 29, David's parting words and legacy of the people is the first time ever that the people of God are said to call God their Father. Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Children, do you know that? God is your Father. Young people, God is your Father. Older folks, me and Some of you, God is our Father. What a blessed thing that they would ascribe greatness to God and and His greatness revealed to them, especially in His being in a certain relationship with them as a father. So they're His children. They're loved of God. You see, the greatness not just of God, this being is celebrated here, but this God who is the covet, what's called the covenant God of Israel is celebrated here. The Savior God, let's put it that way. The Savior God is celebrated here. The God who forgives sins. The God who gives us a way to heaven. The God who sanctifies us and, and gives us to offer willingly. The God who gives us comfort in life and in death. Remember, the amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer is the amen of the catechism, too. It's the end of the catechism. You're going to say amen to all of that? 
All that we've been taught in the catechism and the instruction of the whole counsel of God, what's your only comfort in life and in death? That's the first question and answer, isn't it? Well, what's yours? And when the, catech- the, the lead catechumen says, it's that I belong to Jesus, can you say amen to that? You belong to Jesus. You don't belong to sin. You don't belong to your past. You don't belong to your present. You don't belong to a deadbeat husband or wife. You don't belong to disease or cancer. You don't belong to anything or just anyone. You belong to God. It's because he's made you his child. You were no child. You were just... child of sin, and now he's made you his, our Father. What a great God you are. So we offer him praise. We offer him praise. And this is emphasized in this passage here. There's this David who's offering praise, and then the captains and the leaders and the officers of Israel offering offering. Uh, willingly to the Lord, and then the people following. And over and over, what is celebrated is the people offer willingly. Now, about that, I want to speak in the second point. We've considered the praiseworthiness of God. He's great, greatly to be praised in His being, His works, and His ways, especially in His covenanting with us, His being our friend and our Father, our Savior. But now, there's something that's critical for our understanding God's praiseworthiness and how we are to offer praise to this God. And that's found in the temple worship that was being prepared for here. It wasn't worship offered in the temple. There wasn't a temple yet. The people, they were preparing for it. Remember, David had wanted, he'd wanted to build a house for God. That's what a temple is. A place for God to live among the people. And the beauty about the temple was that God would be known there. And so, There was this glory that filled the temple, this light, this blazing light over the holy place when God came down and blessed with his own presence the temple that Solomon would build. This visible presence of God was known in the temporary house of God, the tabernacle that was taken down and put up and moved in the wilderness and so on and was also in the land of promise when they got there certain degree, and worship was there. But now there had to be a permanent place, and, and praise would occur there where God was revealed and where it was known that his worship was accepted by him. The people are preparing for that, and they're preparing for that, and David leads the way, and the leaders follow, and the people follow the leaders, and it's, it's all this beautiful offering from the heart. and Well, now, what I want to get to is, is how this relates to us. Okay, here's this Old Testament praise. It sounds a lot like the Lord's Prayer and so on, and yeah, 
And this temple thing, okay, we can kind of get that. That was where they worshipped and we, we worship God. But let's get down, down to the, the brass tacks of the gospel. Do you know, my uh, beloved, that this book in the Old Testament, this Bible in the Old Testament, has things revealed in it that are they're still kind of concealed. They're not fully revealed as in the New Testament. For example, the temple. The temple that was being prepared for and money and gold and silver being brought for and and so on was a picture of God with us in the greatest possible way in a house just down the road, just on Jerusalem's hill, Mount Moriah, is going to be a temple. And to that temple, three times a year, the people of God, Israel, in the Old Testament, they'd go up there, and they'd sing psalms, and they'd offer offerings and so on. And it's all because the great God had done a great thing, given them great light in a place, a house, just like theirs, in other words, made of earthly things. But how does that relate to us? There's no more temple like then. Well, there's a greater thing, and we know that. It's Jesus. Do you know Jesus is the house of God? You know, the Apostle John in John 1.14 says, we, uh, we're, he's, he's the one who tabernacled amongst us. He dwelt amongst us. And do you know also that John goes on in chapter 1, verse 18 to say, and we beheld, talking of Jesus, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full and of grace and truth. Now that, I say to you, is what the temple was all about. God in his greatness and glory is the God of Israel, the God who's the father of sinners is revealed there. And now we have, go to the New Testament, flash forward, the temple Jesus who comes. And we behold the Shekinah, the God resting with us, glory in him. In his very person, in all of his works, in his mighty miracles, especially on the cross, does he accomplish the way and reveal himself to be the way that is absolutely necessary to the Father, to the Holy of Holies. He dies, he breaks himself and pours out his blood so that there can be this God with us and we with God for sure. And I want to call your attention to the fact that praise of God then begins in connection with our understanding of that temple, Jesus. can't praise God unless you understand the temple of God, Jesus. There's no way to the Father but by Jesus, and there's no praise of the Father except we come in the name of Jesus. Remember way back when we, we started off the prayer exposition by saying this is going to be prayer in the name of Jesus. So here it is again, full circle. Praise of God, whose is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever is in the name of Jesus, who is the great revelation. That's what a name is of all that God is and ever will be the God of our salvation. So we praise him. And for our edification is just how we 
praise Jesus or praise God in the name of Jesus. And it first of all has to do with the fact that when we offer something, we're, we're not claiming anything with God. As David, we're very humble. Now, therefore, our God, verse 13, we thank you and praise your glorious name, Jesus. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you. The great necessary thing in praise is humility. So that you get off the throne. You don't say that I'm a co-ruler with Jesus and I'm glad that God is my co-pilot. As in a book of yesteryear suggested. No. Nobody shares the throne. And... It's because we recognize that God had to give his son to die for our sins that we realize we could not offer anything to God that would be acceptable to him. That's why he provided his son to die for our sins. So that's the first thing. And then there's the second thing in the, in the church of Jesus Christ, in this assembly that's gathered here, there's a following of the lead of The leaders, David here leads the way and he says, I've given of my own special treasure of gold and silver and all of this. And then there's the leaders of the the, the people, the captains, the officers and the elders and so on. And then the people follow that. That's so very important. In the church of Jesus Christ, we give praise and we're following. Let's know this, first of all, the lead of Jesus, the son of David, who gives not only of special treasure that he had, but he gives of himself and his blood, the precious blood of the lamb shed for sinners. He, he's, his body is prepared to be an offering. So remember that when we're praising, it's not about our praising first, it's about Jesus praising, who came to do the will of the Father and did it and offered himself all his life long and then in his demise, in his death, holy to God, You follow that lead. But in the church, there is this leadership, too, that's necessary. You know, if there's a church and the elders don't praise God and give themselves willingly, there's not going to be a church of praisers. If the minister's just in it for the money or just in it for the fame or just in it because he likes people to like him, maybe. I don't know why you do that. So that's not going to lead for praise in the congregation. It may be it leads to praise of people. And you find that in churches today. They grow large because, well, there's a guy who's really charismatic and he draws the people in and the people end up fawning over the preacher and the preacher gets in an adulterous relationship and there you have it. And all kinds of sins are unleashed because people praise people, even in the church. Maybe you've had that in your own church experience. Oh, beloved, we... Over our dead bodies as elders and pastor will not have that, but we would lead you to the praise of God. And thank God we have that in the church of Christ here at Sovereign Grace, by the grace of God. Oh, we're just weak sinners. But we want to lead you, beloved. And it's not about us. It's not about what's convenient for us. It's not about the pay. It's not about the honor. It's about God and his praise. And the deacons as well, they're not in it for the money or for the acclaim, but they're in it for the praise of God. And you heads of households, 
You lead the way. This is where this comes from. God works through his son, through his elders and pastors and teachers, and through the elders of the home, the fathers, the mothers. Are you praising God and giving of your all? That's how God works praise in the generations. When you are consistently Christian, when you're giving, consecrated to the holy uh, of yourself, to the Lord, that's what David is looking for. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? Verse 5. Leadership is how God works praise in the generations. Poor leadership leads to people going all over the place and scattered because they buy into the the philosophy of men. We're just going to be in it for ourselves. But this is for God here, isn't it? It's all about our consecrated, being consecrated to the cause of Jesus in the temple, the church, which now Jesus makes his dwelling place. What is striking about this is that the people were giving lavishly. They were giving so generously of their wealth, to be sure, but they were giving generously. And the important thing about this praise is over and over again, it's described as people rejoicing for they had offered willingly, verse 9. And then, with a loyal heart, they had offered willingly to the Lord. And then David explains in verse 14, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? And again in verse uh, 17, as for me in the uprightness of my heart, I've willingly offered all these things and now with joy I've seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. What's going on here? What is this offer willingly repeated over and over again? Well, beloved, really it's a technical term for the free will offering. This is intriguing. The people here, following the lead of David and the leaders, the people themselves were offering free will offerings. Now, free will offerings in the Old Testament system were not offerings that were prescribed. They were just be offered, there was availability for people to come. They had sin offerings, they had burnt offerings, they had peace offerings and meal offerings and other kinds of things that were in the law. They had to do it. But the free will offerings, or the people giving of their voluntariness, as it's said in other places, were out of thanksgiving simply because God was God and they loved him. I'll put it that way. Simply because God is God, we're going to offer ourselves to him. And the miracle of it all, and David recognizes, is that God, therefore, was working in the hearts of the people to praise him. That's the miracle of temple worship and praise. And the miracle in any congregation that's praising God in the rain, in the sun, in the hospital, in your health and strength and youth. When your heart is turned to love God and you offer whatever you have and whatever you are to Him, that's called the grace miracle. Do you, have, do you know that miracle? Some people like to increase the giving of the church by changing the system maybe. 
or goading them on by law, and here's the tithe, and this is the law, and so on. God would promote the praise of himself by working in the heart so that people are willing to give and want to give. And you don't have to squeeze something out of them or bribe people or say, if you don't give so much, it's purgatory for you. It's called the motivation of the love of Christ shed abroad in the hearts of God's people. Now, that's the miracle of Jesus. He comes willingly, offers himself, and he makes the people willing in the day of his power. Same word used in Psalm 110, verse 3. Makes the people a free will offering in the day of his power. And you see, if we're going to praise God and his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, it's all about this kingdom and power and glory coming not only in the earth, but coming in the hearts of men and women and children even. So that out of the mouths of babes, God perfects praise. They willingly say, I love you, mom and dad. And they willingly say, Jesus loves me. This I know the Bible tells me so. And then... The parents do, too. Many more things could be said of this praise. Move on to the final point, the amen. It can be that everything is said was agreed upon by you hearing this, I trust. But when it comes down to the nasty now and now, you're going to go, and you're going to go somewhere, even on the Lord's Day, and then Monday, Tuesday, and the ordinary things of life. This is hard, isn't it? It's hard to praise God and to have God on the mind in all things. We talk about ordinary things so often, don't we? And we're almost obsessed by them. Where are the keys to the car? Let's fertilize the lawn. Isn't it beautiful? The buds are coming out. It beautiful. Don't say God is beautiful. And all these things, and we're concerned about these things, and up and down the universe go these people that is the people of God by name, and they're acting like ordinary beasts of the earth. Beloved, this can discourage us. I know. I am one of those who acts like a beast of the earth so often to my shame. Like a beast of the earth, just with earthly desires, just with moos and roars and silence where there should be the voice of God through me. And it's very humbling then to get on a pulpit and say, thus saith the Lord, this is how it ought to be when your leader, yours truly, is so inconsistent, so man-pleasing by nature, so worldly. And I suspect with all of us, we have these struggles. You, You share that with me sometimes. I know that. There's a lot that we don't know, though, of the struggles that you can have as a young person, too. And you see, oh, mom and dad, they're fighting. Or mom and dad, they're not really concerned about church or this or that or the other thing. They don't read the Bible except to get over with it and and then be done with it. 
And so there's this lesson we learn from life and also from those who are said to be praisers of God that really this is just a cheap trick, Christianity. Really. It's just like a drug you take so you feel good for yourself and you can go on and build another barn and avoid paying too much taxes. That time of year, isn't it? Beloved, the great thing about the temple praise is that since it's not about you, God knows it's not about you, and God knows you. And though you are faithless, as Paul says to Timothy, God is faithful. And our whole religion starts and also ends with God, and every chapter of the book that's written between the first and the last is about what God is writing. And God writes in blood and grace. Those are, those are, they come from his pen. They are his word, and he shows his blood and grace to you. And so, beloved, I want to encourage you. If you have not given the praise that you ought to have had and you could not say confidently, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, and I know that, amen. Better days are ahead. Why? Because the word of God is now coming to you in its power, and God in his grace and power are coming to you. And they're saying, now, I love you anyway. Come to me and receive of me once again doses of blood and, and truth and light from heaven, for the glory has come into your life, hasn't it? And it will not depart, because God's glory is wrapped up in his perfecting praise in you. Believe that. So that when you pray with regard to your daily bread, forgiveness, and final deliverance, and so on, You'll have the praise of God in your mind, and God will indeed answer your prayers. We will know in every single event of our life, God is there. God is good. And his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, every day, and forever for you. Amen. We ask, Lord, your help to hear the echoes of the word We've heard. Open our ears and our hearts that we might be more and more God-praisers and less and less stuck on self and stuff. God, turn us to you and turn this congregation to be a thriving, God-praising congregation. Join others to us who will be in that happy mission, that holy mission, that glad thing of being among the people of God who would freely offer of our hearts and all our existence to the praise of God. For Jesus' sake, amen.